Hello, my name is Mike Traversano. I'm a Shuzo in our seminary program here at the Blue Mountain Lotus Society, part of our Dragonfly Sangha. And I am honored to be delivering this evening's Dharma talk. The topic is the paramita of energy, or diligence in practice. The Sanskrit word for this is virya. Uh, it's a continuation, really, of uh, talks that Sensei Tony started a, a little bit ago, um, maybe a month or a month and a half ago, something like that, when he talked about generosity or dana. And we use that's the first paramita. The second paramita is uh, sila or morality, ethics, sort of a, a conscious intent to uh, be a certain way in life. We usually talk about that one when when Sensei Tony introduces somebody into uh, the Buddhist community here and, and talks about the precepts. The third paramita is patience, Kasanti, which, uh, which uh, Shuzo Brad talked about so perfectly uh, a couple of weeks ago. If you, have, if you haven't checked it out, check out Shuzo Brad's uh, talk. He has a way of um, talking from his heart really well. The fourth one is Virya, uh, which I'll talk about this evening. The fifth is Jhana, or concentration. And the sixth is Pranya, or wisdom. And as, as Shuzo Brad talked about, these six paramitas, or sometimes known as perfections, are like descriptions of the enlightened, awakened being, right? Paramita, in Sanskrit, if we break the word down, para means the other shore. Mita means measured. So like measured, the other shore measured. Once I arrive over to this other shore and I am enlightened, I will exhibit these qualities. But Chuzo Brad talked a little bit about that, and I'll, I'll say it again. It's not so much about a description of qualities that we will be when we make it over there, as much as it's the, 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 the practice of crossing to that other shore. Um, there's a great story um, about this, specifically uh, Jack Cornfield tells it. I, I know I've heard uh, Sensei Tony, Tony say the same story um, of uh, one of the Buddha's students asking him, saying, oh, oh venerable, world-honored one. That's what they called him. Venerable, world-honored one. How long will it take me to be enlightened, to be like you? And the Buddha, Shakyamuni, says, it will take 100,000 Mahakalpas. And that student of thought is 100,000. Um, world honored one, how, how long is, uh, is 100,000 Mahakalpas? The Buddha said, 100,000 Mahakalpas. Imagine a mountain that is seven Yojinaha. Now, Yojana is a measure of distance back in the ancient times. It was the distance an ox could travel in a day. So just for the sake of understanding, let's say one Yojana is a mile. Okay. Imagine a mountain that is seven Yojana high by seven Yojana wide by seven Yojana deep. Once every 100 years, a bird with a piece of silk in its beak, drags the silk 
over the top of the mountain. When that mountain is worn flat, that is one Mahakalpa. So, a hundred thousand of those to be like me. Of course, the, the story here is, is uh, describing an impossible length of time, right? Even on an evolutionary scale, that we're starting to get into, you know, light years, right? Before those mountains would be, a hundred thousand of those mountains would be worn down. Maybe not. I'm sure somebody could do the math on that and be like, no. Anyway, uh, so the point is not about wearing the mountain down and becoming the Buddha and exhibiting these qualities, these six paramitas. The idea is the practice. The idea is about the radical notion that who I really am is a shift from who I tend to think I am. In, in our Four Directions system of mindfulness, we talk about this right up front. We sort of, we, we define, metaphorically, we define ourselves as having two wings of the same bird. And on the one wing is this conditioned ego self, this, this part of me that's made up of the stuff that I am and my experiences, my conditioning, uh, and who I believe I am, and I go out and I run around the world and I bump into stuff and I get angry, I, I made happy, I go through all these sort of gyrations to try to make something of who I think I should be by doing things and by having things, right? That's one wing of the bird. But there's another wing. When I strip away that conditioned self, this, this state of being, instead of doing and having, our true self, our Buddha nature, this self that is, is who I most want to be in the world, the self that is grateful and is compassionate and feels and understands the connection between me and the 10,000 things of this crazy universe. And that's a whole different kind of way of being. It's not the one, it's not the one I usually am. Who I usually am is the one that is running around, like driving, or, driving around my little bag of skin, you know, trying not to bump into things. The difference between being able to orient myself from this true self and away from this sort of conditioned ego self, which I am, happens in practice, happens in my practice. And this is where this fourth paramita, virya, or diligence, or energy of practice, becomes so important. Because when I'm challenged, when life throws punches at me, the only thing that I'm really going to have to rely on is my practice, is what, I, what I've set out every day to, as, this, as, as the standard of what I want to have happen for myself. Who do I want to be? What do I want to make happen? And to be able to access that when I need it, because I, we all know life happens, throws something at you, and we react, right? And often that reaction comes from what we've conditioned to do. In other words, we are our habits. We are the things that we practice. Yeah, one, of, one of my instructors at the martial arts studio in Iten Dojo used to say all the time, practice doesn't make perfect. Practice makes permanent. Like what I practice 
makes, it gets ingrained in me and is the thing that I will do. Now, this is actually not a bad thing. It's kind of a, a good thing because it also means that what I practice can be the thing that I want to happen if I practice that, right? And there's all sorts of um, neurological studies that, that kind of prove that, right? That we have this thing, neuroplasticity in our, in our brains, that we really can carve new pathways in, our, in the way we think, in the way we operate. That if we have some way that we are when, when confronted with something in life, we don't like it, we want to change it, that we can change it. We can change uh, the activity of our brain, we can change the very shape of our brain. We know this, neuroscience tells us this. So there is a path out, but the path out is practice, is doing something consciously, repeatedly, every day, to be the person we most want to be in this life. It isn't our willpower that fails us. It's our habits. We, we often think, you know, I just, if I just want something hard enough, I'll somehow magically have, you know, make it happen. But you make it happen through the things you do every single day. If this is sounding kind of like my sales pitch or a sales pitch for a daily practice, that's okay. It probably should because it is the thing that will save you when life jumps at you. Virya traditionally is made up of three components. The first component is, is this idea of virtue, that diligence of practice or energy of practice has a, a virtuous aspect to it. And this is, again, going back to what I was talking about before, this is this idea that I know who I can be out there in the world, and he's not always, he's not always that great. And I know who I most want to be, this connected, compassionate, clear, creative, super cool. I know that's possible. In practice, I can, I can orient to that. This is who I want to be. Every morning when I get up and I do a practice, I'm orienting to, this is who I want to be. Uh, you know, in the precepts that we say in, in our liturgy, and in often many of us in practice, this is about it. I allow, my true, I allow my true self to manifest in all aspects of life. I, this thing, this true self, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be that. This is it. Before I check email, before anybody else in the house wakes up, before I, certainly I do anything work-related, I'm, I'm going to remind myself that this is who I am. Now I'm going to go answer the email. The second, uh, the second component of, of virya is this idea of a, that it's a spiritual practice that is, that is mine to take. That there's tons of incredible wisdom out there. There's tons of, Chusa Brad and Sensei Tony in our community here and millions of books and countless sutras. I mean, I, I mean, they're countless. When you start reading them, it's like you enter a seminary program. It's like they're countless. But ultimately it's down to us that 
when, again, when life shows up and requires something of you, it's, it's you, man. You. Like the books and the teachers, and they were there to help, but now it's you. That this idea of practice, most fundamentally, spiritually, inside us, hits us and puts it on us to do something. And the third component is uh, this idea of practice for others, bodhicitta, this open heart. And in this sense, uh, to use sort of a, um, a traditional Zen idea, uh, in Zen they talk about the 10,000 things a lot. And they describe, they use the 10,000 things to describe this uh, interde interdependent nature of, of everything. When we, when we talk about oneness, sometimes it can feel like it's a, it's a, <laughs> a highly metaphorical concept. But in this case, really, uh, oneness is, is, is really literal. If I think about my relation to everything around me, all of a sudden the lines start to get awful blurred between me and everything else. Like I breathe, right? I'm breathing. So I think, here's me, Mike, and I, here's air out here. And I use that air and I, it keeps me alive. Mm. They're not two separate things. How do I know? If there were no air, there would be no Mike, right? Likewise, this chair and the floor, right? They're separate from me. I don't know, because if there were no chair and there were no floor, there would be no Mike. So all of a sudden, the way these things interact with each other, in a literal sense, start to really blur the lines of who it is that I really think I am in this world. There would be no Mike if there were no Frank and Pat Trevisano some years ago, right? Or my grandparents, or the people that interacted with them, or every, every little thing that happened all along the way up until this very moment. I often say to myself, 3.8 billion years of chance and change arriving here at this moment. Right here, everything happened exactly the way it needed to, to be right here. When I get that, when I get that it isn't me and everything, that it's just everything, then I automatically want to be helpful. Because I'm not, helped, I'm not just helping somebody, I'm helping myself. I'm helping this, it's all me. So this idea of diligence of practice with a component of it being to help others, to help the world, to help make things better, is really about helping me, not in a kind of gross, arrogant, weird, selfish way, but in a realization of what's really right in front of me. The oneness of things, this literal idea that we are all, we are all just one thing moving. So, what to practice. Talked a lot about practice and importance of practice, but maybe, maybe there's some wonder of what you should practice. Again, in our, in our system here and what we teach in our community, in the four direction system of mindfulness, we, there are uh, very 
very direct recommendations of things that you can do to practice, right? But I will, I will say, out of all of them, there is one single practice that is the best. And that is the practice that you will do. The best practice is the one that you will do. It's like exercise or anything, right? Like, what's the best exercise to do? The one you'll do. The one that you will actually do is the best one to do. It, it, being, being obviously very close to our, our Sangha here, what I do every day is, is uh, I, I, uh, we have an, uh, here's my altar right here, little tour. It's like MTV Cribs, Shuzo style. Uh, and each morning and each night, I go up to my altar and I bow to it, and I, I would, I say some prayers. Now they're not prayers maybe that you uh, think of typically. Uh, they're often affirmations of 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 what I most want to have happen in life. Right? I I re-recite those precepts that we talk through. I remind myself of who I am. I remind myself to be grateful. I say thank you to the people and things in my life that have been so important to me and sustained me. And I make wishes for others and myself that, that we are able to experience the goodness and to be able to get through the suffering of experiences in our lives. Uh, I do this every morning and I do it every night. A buddy of mine, he goes to uh, every morning, he lives in Florida, lucky so-and-so, and he he drives and, and watches the sunrise every every morning. I, I think he maybe misses one or two a, a, a month, even when it's like stormy and rainy. He goes and he checks it out, and he's there from right before until right after, and he sends me a picture of it. And again, like mine, like my prayers, like my wishes for goodness for folks. He's connecting to what's bigger. He's reminding himself that before he gets out, before he gets in his car, before he like deals with customers and bosses and whatever else, people with road rage, I don't know, that, that he and that sunrise are not so different. In fact, he and that sunrise are the same. That that sunrise is him. That this life is that sunrise that no matter what happens in life, if he were to gain a bajillion dollars or he were to lose almost everything, it wouldn't change the experience that that sunrise delivers. It would always, the magic of the sunrise would not be diminished or, or enhanced. That it is always perfect, exactly that. It's an orientation to this. That this is who I want to be in this world. The one that notices that connects to it and sees something important in it. So one of the, the most important parts of practice, I just want to reiterate, is to develop this tool in inside, in our hearts, in our minds, in our whole being, so that we have it when we need it. That when 
something happens. Like when, when, when life is like smooth and cool, there's no real need, right? Like, like the practice of you, it's so, it's so frequent in working with folks and talking and mindfulness coaching and counseling. Uh, that, well, thing, yeah, so how you been? Things have been really good. Now things that I haven't really been practicing, but everything's been pretty good, you know? And, and I, I'm not judging that idea because I'm every bit as, as susceptible to falling into it too. When things are good and I kind of don't practice, but it's when things are good that, that the rigors of practice really need to be, <laughs> that you gotta practice because it's just those times that will bolster when things take a turn and you need that practice and you, you need the thing that you get from that practice. Life will challenge us. We know this. And it's only then that the fruits of what we've spent our time doing can really be made do. So, in conclusion, I'd like to end with the very last words of the Buddha. Because he's, he says it perfectly. No surprise, right? The Buddha. It's uh, translated in a, a bunch of different ways, but the last words he says in the Parinirvana Right, his, his dying words. All component things decay. All individual things break apart, said differently. Work hard. Everything falls apart. Everything. The 10,000 things, me, you, and life going well, life not going well, all of it breaks apart. Work hard, he's saying. Be ready for it. It's happening. Thank you. I hope in some way this was helpful.